keep the peace. Hello everyone and welcome to Wag the Dog FM. My name is Philip Borrowmans and I'll be your host for this weekly podcast about public relations, corporate communications and anything in between. This is the very first edition and I'm really excited about this project. So uh, you have to know that this, what you're hearing now, was actually recorded in uh, December of uh, last year, 2014. And uh, I was preparing all these uh, first uh, shows of the uh, of the series and uh, was really looking at at you know what am i going to talk about the very first one the you know the, the really starting point of a of a huge po- podcasting career maybe who knows and um something happened i uh, went to copenhagen for an event by the european association of uh, communication directors and met up almost by coincidence there uh, with robert phillips and robert phillips is one of those people in the PR industry with with a huge background, a, a big career, and is now really changing things within the industry. and uh, And it's one of those uh, people who are, which I at least consider thought leaders. So um, I met up there with him. We did the uh, uh, the interview, uh, just sitting down, iPhone, couple of mics, and uh, and talking. And um, what really triggered my interest, uh, apart from, of course, his, his background, was the fact that this month he's launching the ebook version of his new book. And guess what the title is? The title is Trust Me, PR is Dead. So you can imagine when you're uh, starting up a weekly podcast about the topic of public relations that you cannot miss to do an interview with this man. So without further delay, here we go. So I'm here in uh, Copenhagen uh, for the EACD Summit, and um, I'm here with Robert Phillips, and I thought for the uh, very first edition of uh, Wag the Dog FM, I'll talk with someone who has written a book with the title, Trust Me, PR is Dead. Welcome on the show, Robert. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell me a bit about your background. You were born, and now you're on on this show. So in between, what happened? (laughs) In between being born and on this show, um, I set up my first business uh, while I was still at university at um, 21. Uh, I then uh, met Jackie Cooper and set up Jackie Cooper PR at the age of 23. Um, We sold that business to Edelman uh, 17 years later in 2004. Um, I then took over running Edelman UK in 2006 and we grew that business from uh, about 18 million sterling to 40 million sterling in five years um, and went from being a very dusty, rather tired brand in the UK market to being a, a market leader. And then I took over running Edelman EMEA uh, in 2010 and at Christmas 2012 I quit. And I quit because I don't believe that the PR industry is going anywhere. Uh, that the agency model is broken, and then it's time to find a better way. So your uh, my ground is like 100% in agency. Um, Have you ever worked in-house? No, I've never worked no? in-house. Okay. Um, no, I think it's... Uh, but then when you write a book mm. and take, as you just said me, offline, like more than a year mm. to research and interview people and, and, and do this thing, was that a focus immediately on the agency model is broken or is it a public relations? We're talking about the industry both in-house and I think I think the public relations industry as such will not die straight away. As one of the commentators in the book says, where there's a buyer, there's a market. So as long as clients keep on buying agencies, agencies will keep on selling to clients. But that misses the point, which is about whether this works philosophically as an industry. It dangers significant disruption. Um, as it so happens, I think some of the most powerful insights come from 
in-house communicators, not from agencies. So there's a, a brilliant quote from Pierre Gaud, who's the global head of communications at HSBC. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in it, Pierre says, you know, work, implanting messages in the heads of five-year-olds doesn't work. So why would it work implanting messages in the heads of 255,000 yeah, yeah, employees? Yeah, yeah. There's another great quote from Matt Peacock, who's the director of comms of Vodafone. He says, um, you know, when I, when I want to hire an agency, I go and find the best practitioner in the market and I hire them. It doesn't matter about the name above the door. He said, it's like going to a hospital and like, and like asking for an operation because they've got a great x-ray machine or great catering. Yeah. So I think that some really powerful insights have come from in-house communicators. The agencies, for the most part, have been very defensive about their business model and haven't really been able to differentiate between the industry, where they make money, and the practice of PR, where philosophically it has to change. Yeah. But I've, I've, I started out in agency and then moved over in-house and uh, still meet a lot of agency people. But uh, one of the things that that, um, that I thought frustrating in a way was, you know, only the, the concept of timesheets, where you invoice every 15 minutes, is something that I always found a bit strange, first of all. And, and certainly in the, in the context of, you know, what are you delivering with the, you know, the big ROI question and what have you. So is, 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 is that part of the issue, part of the problem? Is it the, the also that, the, the, the more, you know, down-to-earth operational stuff? Or? There's an economic fault line that runs right the way through the argument, and you can cut it any number of ways. Um, on the timesheet issue, it's the same problem for all professional services firms, all big professional services firms. It doesn't have to be PR, can be advertising, can be accountancy, can be law which is that what they do is they create bureaucracies to service what they're selling to clients, and then they have to feed the bureaucracy, mm. which means is they end up selling stuff to clients just in order to keep the machine going. It's not necessarily the best advice or the best people. So I think that's part of the problem. The other fault line that runs through it, and this runs to the heart of the profit versus purpose argument, is why are we here as businesses, not as public relations businesses or as communications people, but just as business overall, or indeed as politicians, Are we here to pursue power and profit, or are we here to make a difference? And I think there is, a, a again, there's a sort of schism, this gap between people who want to make a difference in business and politics and people who just want to make money. And some of my harshest critics, uh, some of my harshest critics have been those who, some of my harshest critics have been those who fail to differentiate. One of them sitting on the panel here in Copenhagen this evening, who said, it doesn't matter what you say, Robert, my agency makes loads of money. My point is, but for how much longer? Because yeah. that's where the practice of public relations and industry of public relations will at some point collide. So we're talking about really looking at a sustainable model uh, for a full industry, in fact, because uh, in your book, which is coming out then in January, yeah. uh, the e-book uh, version and then the printing version a bit later, yeah. um, you are talking about uh, transparency, about really those more human uh, kind of, of, of concepts like transparency and sustainability and, and working with a purpose. Uh, what, what is that side? Because let's be honest, a lot of PR people will say, well, that's a bit of a soft side of a thing. We, you know, we are in here to make money and as long as clients and what you just said. But yeah. how, how does that... Well, the word you're missing is accountability, which is actually what we're here in Copenhagen to talk about. And accountability is interesting. I mean, PR as an industry has struggled with measurement, as we know. But what it's never really thought long and hard about is accountability and who we're accountable to. And the other thing about my book is people have focused on the PR is dead part of it. They haven't focused on the trust part of it. And so these two items, or these two elements come together. 
And the reason that people aren't trusted is because people aren't authentic and people aren't accountable. And, and so what happens is that PR agencies go out and sell a bank or an energy company or uh, an oil major or whoever it happens to be, a campaign that builds trust. But campaigns don't build trust, real people build trust. And so you have to think about it in that context. So when you think that through, um, uh, the, the, the issues that matter most to real people are some of the, sort of the, the, the issues that follow right the way through from Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas and are about issues like ethics, sustainability and purpose are not soft issues. They run fundamentally to the heart of the sort of society we want to be and the way that we want to be governed by our politicians and the way that we want to be led by business. And a business is to have an active role in society and if employees are to be active participants in business in a way that they will be because they become more activists anyway, then we have to deal with some of these issues. So they're no longer soft, I think they're hard and fast business metrics. Mm. So it, go, it goes back to um, what some things have been... Um written before in, in the way of a white paper, uh, for instance, I, I, my background is with IBM for 10 years and there was something like the Authentic Enterprise document, which came out with uh, Johnny Wata, I think. Um, so it is definitely something that goes further than just our industry. It's 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 part of society that we're part of. Um, another thing that you just said here is, is, the, um, is the part of employees i think uh because in, in most of the studies that we've seen recently coming out is that employees just simply don't care i mean they go in there for the paycheck or other reasons but they're not really engaged and that's a big word now engagement etc is, is is that something that is like proof of that we need to change well, I, as organizations i think it's a long-term trend so this started um at cas business school in london where i'm a visiting professor with one of the real professors a guy by the name of uh, cliff oswick Cliff is a professor in organizational theory. And we started with this thesis or this hypothesis that um, the rise of employee activism was such that at some point the organization would become uncontrollable by a controlling CEO uh, because of the rise of technology, the rise of networks, the rise of individual empowerment, the millennial generation, all these factors were coming into play. And actually Cliff arrived at the, at the point, I got to the point of employee activism was going to be real in the future. He got to the point where where leadership is futile. Um, so his, all the old traditional models of leadership, charismatic leadership, situational leadership, um, uh, actually sort of fall away in the world as it is now, which is much more messy, much more chaotic. And, and what's interesting about, about this is, uh, going back to your earlier question about it's not just PR. So we crowdfunded my book, which I chose to do rather than go to the traditional publisher. And in my book, my publisher has written uh, an essay on the death of publishing. And then I got a note from an ambassador, British ambassador to Lebanon, a guy called Tom Fletcher. And he said, I was inspired by your blog, and I've written a blog of my own, which is why old diplomacy is dead too. And then somebody said, well, if diplomacy is dead and publishing is dead, then law is dead, then engineering is dead, then party politics is dead. So we are seeing something that's way bigger than the PR industry. Mm -hmm. And what's curious about it is, is that the PR industry and communicators, who are normally good at spotting a trend, haven't spotted their own demise. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it goes back to, I was amazed when I started looking at online and social, what is today called social media, pretty early on with IBM in 2003, four, And I was so amazed that it took us more than 10 years to really start to understand what this all means for our industry. We're very slow when it comes to change. Uh, and, and just as we begin to understand social media, and I'll come back to that in point, we need to understand data. And I think of the five existential threats to the PR profession stroke industry, 
the lack of understanding and investment in data to the scale that you need to invest in and understand data will probably be the thing that kills yeah. PR once yeah, and for all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the book is coming out, uh, ebook. E-book, in January, e-book in January, the hardback in uh, in March. The proofs are now in Latvia being printed. Okay, that's globalization for you. Huh? Um, it you was, mentioned it was a co- competition between Latvia <laughs> okay. and China. Okay, good. One one last thing uh, you mentioned, and I saw in your biography, of course, that you 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 are teaching on a regular basis, mm. uh, which I try to do on a regular basis as well in in Belgium. Um, uh, What do you think of the new generation coming up? I mean, normally, I mean, I'm, maybe you're not teaching the same people. I'm teaching, you know, uh, communication science students or PR students. Uh, but but, but uh, your experience, what do you well, think? Um, you have to read the book to find the answer to that question. <laughs> but the short answer is tomorrow I'm flying to Liverpool uh, to meet uh, someone who's just graduated from Liverpool Uh, John Moore's University. Her name is Dagmara. She's, she calls herself a Polish Liverpudlian. Um, and uh, she was in the middle of doing a master's degree in CSR. And I got this tweet saying, I've just read something by Citizen Robert and I'm quitting my course. Oh. And, and I tweeted back, please don't do that. Yeah, I don't mind being responsible for lots of things, but I don't be responsible for, for screwing up your future education. But what she said, uh, and she's written about this and now features in the book, is that um, is that what she was being taught was all wrong because she was being taught about corporate social responsibility and she said it was just like um, uh, sprinkling stardust on a pile of poo. Yeah, I think yeah, that's how she yeah, described yeah. it. So that generation sees stuff that our generation, or my generation, unless your generation, chose to ignore and they see right the way through it. And one of the points that I make in the book is the future belongs to people like Dagmar, it doesn't belong to people like me. And one final story is we have a, a pupillage scheme, an apprentice scheme in, in Jericho Chambers. Uh, and after a few weeks, our first pupil, Roxanne, who's 24, who had done internships at all the big agencies, I said, well, what do you think of, of what we're doing here at Jericho, which is about being progressive, being radical, about trying to change people's legacy? And she said, well, there's good news and bad news. It's from a 24-year-old. I said, well, what's the, what's the, um, what's the, the bad news? And she said, well, I've done my internship, and I won't name the agencies, but you'd know them mm-hmm. if you saw them. And everything that I've learned here at Jericho is everything I was told never to do. Never to do. Yeah. And I said, so what's the good news? She said, I've been talking about it with me and my mates, and they all think that you're right. Yeah, and, that, and there you go. And yeah. that yeah. is a generational yeah. shift. And so the future doesn't belong to Robert Phillips or Mike Loverburst or Colin Byrne at Weber Shanwick. It belongs to people like Roxanne, people like Doug Martin, mm. 20-somethings who see a different world and want business and politics to be a different way. Great stuff. We'll uh, we'll wrap up. We have uh, another panel discussion yeah. to go to. Um, first of all, thank you very much for uh, being on Wag the Dog and the first edition. Yeah, well, it, it was fun. I think it was a great discussion and probably, I'll, hopefully, we can chat again later on uh, next year uh, when the book is out. I would love to as well. Uh, we'll, we'll be giving out uh, a couple of uh, books uh, once they come out in print to our listeners uh, in, a, in a couple of months. Uh, hopefully, we can get one with your signature on it. You never know. But, but uh, no, seriously, uh, it was uh, really interesting to hear your insights um, and we'll definitely follow up with you later on when the book is out and, uh, and probably uh, go deeper in, in different uh, important topics that you're covering there. Thank well, you very luck, much. Good luck with Wag the Dog. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. So there you have it, the very first episode of wagthedog.fm. I had fun doing this one and I'm really looking forward already uh, for the next one. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 
And uh, there's a couple of things that you need to know. Every single uh, book that we mention or uh, name or tool or what have you, we'll put it on the uh, website as well. So uh, we're building up a uh, huge resources database, so to say, uh, that you can use. And uh, another thing as well, I really would appreciate feedback. Um, if you have questions about the show, please go to the website. We have an audio recording system. You can leave a message there. If you have tips, if you have names of people that you want to see on the show, please leave them as well. It's really important to get that uh, two-way thing going and um, really looking forward to your uh, input uh, to the show. So I uh, hear you next week, hopefully. And uh, till then, do the right thing. Bye-bye.